if you like, our competitors are banks, right? So they're people who actually do this solely. So we know the market. So that's a huge advantage, the data element around that. So whether it's on the buy-sell side, whether it's on raising capital, whether it's ILS, cap bonds, whatever it is across the, the gambit of capability, we've got the benefit of so much of the data within Houghton. We've got the benefit of understanding the market better. Welcome to Orbit, the HG podcast series where we speak to leaders and innovators from across software and the tech ecosystem. My name is Andrew Land, I'm a partner at HG and I lead investments in the insurance sector. And today we're gonna talk about reinsurance, which is a less well-known but critically important corner of the global insurance market. Uh, And the reinsurance sector is undergoing a period of incredible growth, but also incredible volatility, where the importance of data is increasingly driving the sector. Now, before we get started with the discussion, uh, reinsurance has a few acronyms that uh, we'll be talking about. So when we refer to CAT, we're talking about catastrophe reinsurance. So that's reinsuring hurricanes and earthquakes and other natural disasters. When we talk about 1-1 or 1-4, those simply refer to the dates where insurance in the reinsurance space is renewed, the calendar dates. And then finally, when we talk about capacity, what we mean there is the insurance capital that backs the policies that are written. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today, Elliot Richardson, who is vice chair of Howden Tiger. Howden Tiger is the reinsurance broking business of the Howden Group, of which HG is an investor. And it is one of the four tier one global reinsurance brokers. Thanks for coming in, Elliot. Yeah, well, thanks, Andrew, and thanks for having us. Um, so uh, sadly, when you get to 35 years, you start to appear to veteran status. So um, I've been in the industry since 1988. Ironically, started at a company called Alexander Howden, which was David Howden, the founder of Howden's former family company. They were long gone. By then, it was owned by the American uh, company ANA, then became Aon. Um, and really been in the reinsurance business as part of that 35 years for around 30, 31 years. Um, seen an enormous amount of change. Um, but one thing that's been extraordinary is that the, uh, the rise of reinsurance and the importance of it, and we'll talk about that in a second, but the, the, the fact that probably it's one of the only industries in the world where the market share is almost an oligopoly. Um, so just over 80% of the market share is controlled by Gallagher, Aon and Guy Carpenter. So a very unusual mix, which will explain a little bit the rationale for some of the things we've decided to do later in the pod. And the reinsurance business is probably one of the things that most people tend to describe as uh, insurance for the insurers. Um, it's the easiest way that most people, when you ask, you're stuck at a dinner party and people's faces drop when they say you work in reinsurance, um, that we are we explain that we're the uh, insurers for the insurers. But it's really um, an enormously important part of the global economy because without reinsurance, insurers would struggle to deploy capital in such large quantities. Price would be uh, far more damaging for consumers, companies, and anyone in the insurance ecosystem. So reinsurance is a key part of um, sort of the whole global economy that drives insurance, which some people have described um, as the cradle of capitalism. Very little happens without insurance. So everything we do, whether it be an M&A, whether it be buying a house or otherwise. Um, so the reinsurance market is a, is a fascinating 
part of the ecosystem. And just yeah, just on that, um, I guess when people think about reinsurance, they they think about the catastrophe side and and hurricanes in Florida. But in reality, even more basic insurance ultimately gets reinsured. So as you said, it's um it's the backstop for the entire industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a it's around about a four hundred billion dollar market. In fact, CAT is only about thirty billion. It often gets a lot of the headlines, um, and but only thirty billion. So it's almost delineated into property, casualty, and um, and specialty lines. And obviously, specialty lines can be everything from cyber, terrorism, etc. So uh, the CAT market seems to dominate the headlines, yeah. um, but it, it absolutely touches every element of insurance. Yeah. Now we're seeing at the moment, and it is partly the CAT headlines, but more generally. The reinsurance market seems to be going through a very, very unusual phase yep. with an enormous lack of capital, huge price increases. That's having a bunch of different effects rippling through the primary markets and businesses that we invest in, including Howden, are seeing that. Just explain kind of how that's arisen, what's driven that sort of you know, very unusual set of circumstances. Yeah, and I think we live in a world now where probably 10 years ago the, the term black swan would come along and people would think of things and now we seem to get black swans almost on a monthly yeah. basis. So I think it's a culmination of, of a few things. I think first and foremost, um, for a long time, there was a glut of capital in the reinsurance and insurance industry. So that tended to mean that even if the primary arm element was under pressure from a loss um, activity, there was an abundance of capital to deploy. Today, that's not so evident. Um, and what normally happens, and if you're a keen history buff of reinsurance, there's normally the, 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 the hard market, and what we describe as a hard market in the insurance world is, is a price and, and, and a constraint on price. So price will go up, and also on, on terms and conditions. A soft market is the opposite. So soft market, too much capacity, long period of, mm. of, um, of low frequency losses, and therefore it's a soft market. Normally, you will see in the reinsurance world, again, largely driven by the cat angle, you will see a, a snap hard market. So there'll be other contributors to it. There'll be contributors of long period of, of, of soft market conditions. And then normally you see a cat that drives the change. So it'll be something like Hurricane Katrina in yeah. 2005 or Hurricane Andrew in 1992, um, even 9-11 uh, and what happened there, which was in a mix of, uh, of multiple, but it was almost a cat-style event. So normally what would happen on those type of incidents is you would have what they call the class of 92. Ace, and which is now Chubb, and Excel started off the back of sort of the early 90s, problems in the casualty market, and then made hay from after Hurricane Andrew. In 2001, it was companies like Montpellier, etc., that would start, and then... In 2005, you've got the likes of Lancashire and other people that would appear. These, these type of examples have not happened this time. So coupled with this market, you've had a period of very hard market conditions in nearly every line of business for the last two, two and a half years. Yeah. COVID triggered that. COVID triggered that, along with a large spate of natural catastrophes. And the insurance industry tends to look backwards, not forwards, right? So how historical results drive your assessment of risk. Mm. 
Today, that's not so easy to do because whether it's climate change, whether it's other, other factors, some of these risks have never been priced in or been apparent in the past. So all of this has meant that new capital has been slightly reticent, coupled with the financial issues. All of these elements are almost this perfect storm of problems. Yeah. And then you throw on top Ukraine, then you throw on top inflation. Interest uh, rates. Interest yeah. rates, yeah. bond markets, all of these things are almost a perfect storm. So as a result of it, we've probably all cut, again, 35 years in the business, you've never seen a market-sustained period of hard terms like it. And mm. with no end in sight, Andrew, at all. You know, There really isn't um, a, a, a short-term expectation that things are going to change, and that's without any other factors coming along. I was going to ask you, Elliot, because I remember, I think you and I probably first met each other in 05 with Lancashire, when that was set up as a a response amongst other businesses as a response to Hurricane Katrina and everybody knew 2006 was going to be a fantastic year for fresh capital maybe it goes to 2007 but not much longer yeah. it's really interesting as you describe it that this the conditions you see today have never really been seen before mm. and then the question becomes you know how does that get resolved and what happens right now you're not seeing any change in that but what do you think is going to be the way in which that goes back to more normalized yep. set of circumstances? I think uh, you're, what you're also seeing is, of course, is that through, throughout the supply chain, there is a, a not enough capacity to take care of the original client's needs. So we use a lot of an expression about making sure the industry continues to stay relevant. So probably in most cyber, as an example, cyber, probably about 300 million is the maximum sort of limit that a company could purchase for cyber. When we all know, many of your listeners will know, they would probably like to purchase much more yeah. cyber protection than 300 million. So the only way to solve that is to develop capacity and solutions in the reinsurance market that would enable the insurers to offer more. And that's almost the same in nearly every class of business today with the exception of probably a couple of pockets, where what, what happens tends to be people to get balance and non-correlation, they may feel they're too heavy in certain areas, so they mm. drive growth in others. And I suspect a few classes like DNO in America, directors and officers insurance, which is typically bought for people obviously sitting on boards or otherwise, and you can imagine off the back now of the SBB situation, that may change. It's a lot of um, demand, yeah. They probably bought around, the, the market rumour was that SBB's directors bought around $180 million of D&O insurance. That, that's nowhere near touches the sides for the sides of the, the problem and yeah. the, the investors and everything. So with the exception of probably D&O in the US, which may change, nearly every other class of business is in a hard environment mm. with a lack of capacity. So the only solution is to create more capacity and... Um, we're fortunate, and um, we'll talk about Health and Tiger a little bit later, but we're the only um, one of the, the four tier one insur uh, reinsurance brokers that has our own investment banking business. And to give you an idea, they sort of operate in the same world as an Evercore or some of the large banks, you know, whether right. it's M&A or otherwise. So most capital market transactions in reinsurance within brokers is normally ILS or cap bonds and those type of deals. We're an actual full service um, investment banking operation. That's really a huge differentiator for us. So that means we're allowed to go and talk to multiple potential capital providers about the opportunity to deploy mm. capital. I think a lot of people, especially CAP, is the obvious driver at 1-1. One, one. 
This is a, it's a fundamental shortage. One one being the renewal first of January. So one one is yeah. a sort of um, the number one really big renewal date in yeah. the reinsurance world. Ironically, um, if you look at the large businesses of CAT, obviously the US is the largest driver. The second largest driver is Japan. And Japan waits to see. So their traditional renewal date for the last 100 years is 1st of April. Mm. So we'll see how that's looking. Currently, that's looking like an astonishing rate increases. And remember, these are rate increases that have, have with no losses. There's been no catastrophe losses in Japan since the, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So that had already been baked in. So this is just cost of capital. So what we were able to do, we, um, we work closely with a lot of clients and looking at ways that we could go to investors to deploy capital. There was still a reticence um, around the 1st of January that these rates were really going to be where they were. These, these are astonishing. And that's actually been evident. So now with 1st of April, now with 1st of July, which is a very big US market, sort of not as big as one, yeah. but very big, this need's going to get worse. And adding in the problem that Lloyds of London, for those who are familiar, if, you, if, you're, if you're writing in Lloyds, you have to confirm that you're writing to a stamp capacity. So that's to make sure your capital ratios are correct. So if, you're, if your premium income for the year is 500 million, but rate excluded, inflation is at 10%, then you're going to have 50 million more of premium on your books without writing any more business. So that's mm. a problem. That's a problem. So already you're starting to see Lloyds pulling lines back to allow them to have more dry powder towards the latter part of the year. So there are no... Which is the inverse of what you want. Completely. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. a real problem. Amazing, yeah. So if you think forward then, the only, if you look at insurance over the years, capital eventually flows back in. The question here is whether investors who maybe haven't been in the reinsurance space decide to come into it, given the returns on offer. Yeah, and then we're, we're seeing some element of, um, of uh, if you like, a disrupting element, a sort of new version of capital is actually starting with reinsurers that are what I call reinsurer lights. And especially yeah. around the MGA and program world, mm -hmm. which is sort of creates that nimble ability, is you've got the likes of the Vestus, the Ledgers, the Corinthia Rees that are appearing very light cost base, able to write very significant amount of premium. And of course, the cost is the, often the driver. Aside from assigning the cost of capital, it's the cost base for these large reinsurers. So these companies are starting to appear and getting significant investors behind them. Interestingly, a lot of them are sort of family office style concepts, yeah. um, where they're they're putting money in. They'll get a they'll get a real non correlated element. What 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 the blend is is that people are worried. Often, new investors are very worried about catastrophe and the volatility of it. But if you're able to blend it with some motor, some uh, mm. non cat property some other pieces in within it, you can still get return a really interesting IRR, but you, you're, not, um, you're not as volatile to that one particular area. So, so it goes back to what you said about reinsurance is not just Florida hurricanes, correct. it's the entire marketplace. And so that, that blend of risk and return is actually potentially very attractive. Yeah. And so that's where we're starting <clears throat> to get some real traction. And those mm. companies are companies that we sort of largely helped get going we're able to deliver them solutions. We've got the full suite to be able to do it. And then, frankly, every client is lovely to have. But unless you can deliver them solution, you don't have any clients. Yeah. So 
we we focus very heavily on market creation and and, and capital infusion. Fascinating. So just thinking a little bit about the the innovation in, in in capital structure, I think the other really interesting part of reinsurance is, and something that relates very much to what HG does with software and data is, is probably one of the first industries that really adopted data in a commercial way. Now again, going back to catastrophe market, but the way in which the reinsurance market relies on data and data modeling. Um, and I'm just curious about, given some of the innovations that we're all seeing around AI and that kind of thing, will reinsurance continue to be the forefront of that? Yeah, and, and, and often people say that insurance is one of the sort of last places to be sort of affected by tech. I would actually go the contra and, and say that actually 30 years ago, they were the first people to really heavily use data. Yeah, And you touched on CAT, but it wasn't just on catastrophe. So if you talk about um, liability, so actuaries are needing to work out you know, where the tail is, what's the likelihood of how long. And because often with liability insurance, the insurers obviously were able to hold on to the money for longer mm. because there was, a, there was a tail risk, not necessarily an individual event where you would pay out. So obviously liability insurance could be someone falling over in a, in a fast food restaurant or you know, a damage in a result of a car accident, whatever. All of those things take a long time to process. So actuarial data was vital and the, the, the amount, the sheer weight of actuaries in the business is enormous. Again, that was vital, the quality of that data, making sure the more you could get good quality data, the more you could drive a good solution in the market. And CAT, you saw the rise of, obviously you had one side, the racing agencies, but also the modeling agencies. So models continually are needing to be used and it's no different to any walk of life if the quality of the data is not good going in the output is terrible so yeah so data has become a, an enormous part of the day-to-day -day. and now data analysts people looking at this business looking at trends you've also got in the insurance world nearly almost through the the, the old-fashioned way was to say right on motor business how do you know the difference between a good driver and a bad driver now you've got things in cars, you've got the ability to track and break out and cut the data in different ways, which is giving motor insurers a different edge. And then the reinsurance world is creating the same sort of solutions to mm. create whether it's capacity, different terms, etc. So it, it's, it's an enormously heavy amount of tech and data is involved in insurance, much more than what people would perceive on the front end of the business. Well, I think, yeah, it's, it, what's also interesting for us at ASG is um, the way in which the insurance sector has, as you say, for over 30 years, has integrated data with all the workflows that go on. So it's never been a, you know, data's not a sort of thing over there that you bring in when you feel that you need to. This has been the core of all of that underwriting and, and assessment of risk. Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes the key to, is to not use the term data. Right. Data frightens people. If you use data, they think, oh, this is gonna start to get a bit complicated. But actually, we're using data all every day, just part, but we just use it as information or submission or the analytics element. And we use it, but it's we never frightened each other initially by calling it data. So I think sometimes it's like anything, it's what you position it as rather than calling it data. Equally, it's the same all the way through a chain. We, as a broker, the industry is very anecdotal. You know, so yeah. how's your pipeline big? You know, how's... How's the how's the market? It's up by ten, down by ten. You know you, you know you know quite well, Andrew. So you know what I'm talking about. Now you're starting to see conversations that are happening that have real substance to them, and it's a very different market than even five or ten years ago.
and you know some of the stuff that the insurance world is dealing with is highly complex mm. and 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 so you have to be ready for those answers and you have to hire very very different types of people than you've probably ever had to hire before and bring them in make them understand what it is and often with insurance people sort of start to so you see the look of disappointment on their face but if you deal with risk every day we all deal with risk whether you're going to invest in a business whether you're going to do something and and we're risk advisors we just happen to have different elements of solutions that may involve reinsurance or capital decisions in fact we we don't actually call ourselves reinsurance brokers we call ourselves risk and capital advisors mm, mm. Um, and so that's the way to position the world of insurance is that they are helping people with risk what do you what's your view then on um, on what AI and you know, particularly all the chat recently on chat GPT how that could come into their insurance and the reinsurance space is that is there a is there going to be a role for that type of AI within the insurance uh, industry do you think without doubt I, I think for a long time there's been talk about certain elements of insurance are going to probably be disrupted or yeah. changed dramatically hasn't quite happened uh, but it actually has subtly as I said to you in different parts of especially in the personal lines insurance what we mean by personal lines is somebody's house or their car or uh, a painting or whatever if you if you look at that most of that's now got a, quite a heavy tech element to it you've also got aggregators so you've got people like um, uh, compare the market you've got other people out there doing mm. this stuff that are using tech continually to drive people into the type of thing they are they're using the underlying data to do so as more of that data comes into the stream what I think you're going to find on brokers is still a lot of the business that retail brokers in the United Kingdom for example and we and Howden are one of the largest in that space I think we have six and a half thousand people over 200 offices just in the UK but so much of that's still done individually by transaction, person to person. There will, without doubt, AI will drive the ability to bundle more and more of that up and be able to deal with it where it actually benefits the consumer more. Um, the quality of wordings, data, the way it's delivered to mm. people. There's so much of the, the client service, I think, will be much enhanced on that side. I think still with insurance, it still often needs individuals to explain the nuance whether AI can continue to to evolve to a point that it can be nuanced now you see certain examples of that whether or not um, that's something that but it's gonna it's gonna be a real driver of it and in fact we were talking about this the other day in, in the reinsurance world you have to um, use um, an expression called RFP so if a, an insurer who's one of our clients wants a request for a presentation that what we could do to help them um, we believe that AI can take about 70-80% of what the repetitive element of that away so that your people can focus on the 30% that really matters. So it's not again about losing people or this is about actually allowing your people to spend time on the things that make a difference to that client, not some of the heavy burdensome some. So I think that's going to be great news for the industry and it's going to yeah. drive more time to help clients. Yeah, it's going to be that mix of the stuff that is laborious um, can be automated and as you say the the real value add and the IP you've got more time for that and that's what the clients want yeah yeah really interesting Lou let's um let's talk about a little bit more about um what you're up to with Howden Tiger because uh, this is you know one of the biggest developments in the reinsurance space in the last few years and I'd be interested just to get your 
your views on why that's important to the sector and what you think it might mean for the sector going forward. Yeah, it's um, it's been an amazing um, few years and we had an enormous amount of support to do it. But when uh, you look, as I mentioned earlier in the pod, that you've got uh, an oligopoly today and in, in most people would think that was extremely odd to have a, a market share of over 80% with three players. Yeah. But it's not, it wasn't contrived, it was just happened over time. And largely because of the three companies I mentioned, both Gallagher, um, Marsh and Aon, um, acquired so many businesses over the last 30 years. So the likes of the Johnson and Higgins, the Benfields from Aon, JLT from Marsh. All these companies had great reinsurance businesses. And they ended up, so now you, you create the oligopoly. And it was really a lot to do with the consolidation that happened. So in fact, the last time there was a, a major competitor to the large three, and in fairness, Gallagher's are new to the party because they acquired Willis Re. So after the failed merger between Willis and, and Aon, Gallagher's acquired Willis Re. Um, so, so same concept, big retail business, but they were slightly later to the party. So the last time there was a, a, a true fourth tier one player was Benfield, which was taken out 15 years ago, mm. which um, was acquired by, by Aon. So, uh, and there's been other people that have been very good at what they do. JLT Re had a good reinsurance business for a while, but nothing like something that the large three knew they were in a game when they were up against Benfield. So we felt that it was time for that to come back. Um, also, you have to be at a right moment in time. So. Howden as a company had evolved to a size that was becoming a global brand, had rapid growth, had tremendous relationships with the carriers and trust. So trust was a big part. The carriers knew and liked the Howden story and would want to help if we felt. So you need to get all those aspects right and that you can't rush, right? That's the, the great conversation we have about Howden that was 29 years to be an overnight success. You know, the last three, four years, it's, it's, um, it's evolved tremendously, as you well know. So... We felt that there was an opportunity to, to create that challenger and also to do it differently. Um, and so we knew that we, we could, um, and Benfield used to, I was lucky enough to work there for a period of time. Benfield used to always have a philosophy that you, you need to create areas of your business that there is no doubt you are the number one operator. Because if you're the smaller of the four, you might get invited to a lot of the parties, but you may not come company mm. where they're enjoying that party. So yes. there'd be a lot of work involved. So what we what we want to do is really excel. So we, I touched on earlier about the capital market. We knew that if we were able to buy Tiger, we'd be create a unique position in the market around that. Secondly, something um, I'll talk on very quickly, which is our approach with uh, what we call delegated authority. And to sort of put it in context in, in the PE or uh, other world is it's a similar model. Someone gives you their capacity delegates you to do that better than them and will pay you accordingly right so delegated authority effectively writes on behalf of third-party capital it is the fastest growing market in the world um, it's forecast to be this year 70 billion of premium just in the US mm. and growing rapidly everywhere else and we we dominate that area so we, we use the the term saber which was meant to be the most fearsome uh, of all the tigers also extinct but um, <laughs> we're trying to bring it back and we pay six billion of premium in that, which is larger than our three competitors combined. So we built a business that was with a single PL, a team of business that would bring a multiple suite of products which are very much built for the modern client. 
and really develop something that gives clients an edge. It's not good for clients. It's not good for the market to have three people doing it. And also what it will do is it bring the whole market level up. You know, they will have to respond. They will have to invest more. And that's good for the whole market. So our clients will benefit. But we, we genuinely believe that we've got something unique. We've had an amazing support from the market. It's becoming a, a destination for talent um, yeah. in the industry, which is massive. Um, and uh, I think we've got a global business that's uh, very, very different to anything else out there. And we know that we can be invited to any of those parties now and, and have a very good time from what we're doing. And so... Howard and Tiger over the next five or six years will evolve into really a big global reinsurance business that will solve right at the start of this conversation a lot of those problems that are facing the industry. We want to take those on head on yes. and help our clients deliver better solutions, which ultimately benefits the whole ecosystem, but also is very much in line with the rest of Howard. And what's interesting there, Elliot, is what you said earlier about with this lack of capacity and frankly the need for capital to flow back into reinsurance. Howden Tiger, with, with that investment banking capital markets franchise, I mean, it's a great time to be, to be growing that because you know, those guys are going to go and find that capital. If you like, our competitors are banks, right? So they're people who actually do this solely. So we know the market. So that's a huge advantage, the data element around that. So whether it's on the buy-sell side, whether it's on raising capital, whether it's ILS, cap bonds, whatever it is across the, the gambit of capability, we've got the benefit of so much of the data within Howden. We've got the benefit of understanding the market better. So I think we have a huge advantage. Equally, we always use that business to drive long-term annuity revenues. So first thing often, often happens, people say, oh, that's unusual. How do you deal with the fact that every year you start at zero, like any mm. banking business? Um, but actually, most of our big, large clients started in the capital market team and ended up becoming a very big annuity uh, player. So it's a, it's a brilliant opening of the door. And also, those people are trusted. They're, look, they're dealing with people's you know, most important dreams, whether it's buying their company, selling it, whatever. Um, it's a real part of our secret sauce, I think. Uh, yeah. And we, we, we have an amazing relationship with them across all the brokers, bring them into all the deals. Um, so our, the brokers are also the eyes and ears for that. So it's it's great for investors. It's great for the market to have that sort of mousetrap. And I guess you're also, you know, Howden. You had a you ran a really great business within Howden, but it was probably more European based. Tiger was very much US. You've now got a, a genuinely global yep. franchise in place. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and 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 more to come. You know, we 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 even now that we've created what we've created, we're still only six percent of the market but growing incredibly quickly and with a, a very, very great environment to work in. So I think the clients find that great. People are working there and are on their way to us, um, enjoy it. And, and, and Howden's a very unique business. You know, it's, it's, it's built around the employees. If you drive the, the right incentive plans to the employees, it's like anything like fine lining, it could be an elite sport or otherwise, if that person's 2% better that could be the difference. And I think Howden as a company have that differentiator because of the, the atmosphere and the way that people work. So it's a, it's a great place to be. Great. Thanks, Elliot. Well, I know you're, other than reinsurance, your other big passion is football. So Arsenal for the title? <laughs> top four, Andrew. Definitely. We're just top four. We're, we're glad to be there. No, we're, we're enjoying the ride. But uh, 
Um, I, in fact, my uh, I took my mother um, on Sunday because it was Mother's Day, so obviously she didn't get some flowers. She got to come to Arsenal, um, <laughs> and uh, she keeps crying after every game. I said, "Mum, there's ten to go." So uh, it sums it up. What day shall we invent in the season? Yeah, <laughs> I don't even want to know. I sort of bring a medical team with her every time. So no, we're enjoying it, but uh, uh, we'll see where we are in a few weeks' time. Yeah, good luck with that. Well, listen, Elliot, thank you very much. It's been super interesting talking to you and, um, you know, really exciting developments in the market with Hyde and Tiger. So thanks again for uh, contributing. Pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Orbit, the HG podcast. If you'd like to find out more about HG and our work building businesses that change how we all do business, subscribe to our newsletter at hgcapital.com forward slash newsletters. Newsletters.